The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk. Well, Tech Talk Cafe is a little later, obviously way ahead of my time here. But welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM where we always look at the latest, the greatest, and some crazy interesting news around technology and a company that I've mentioned many times uh, and has been growing exponentially over the last couple of years, partially or mostly, in fact, due to the fact that AI has exploded across the planet. It's the typical tech story where things go slowly, slowly, and then suddenly exponential. And now everybody's talking about ChatGPT and the various versions and other competitors such as Bard, and now there's one from Facebook, um, just a ton of sort of text assistance and you name it. AI all of a sudden is a huge buzzword and it's being built into everything we do and it's coming to word close to you. It's in the browser already for most people uh, across the world. So AI has become a huge, huge trend within the overall tech space and where it all begins is data, data. Tons and tons of data, and that data needs to get processed, and that processing needs to happen at scale and at speed that is mind-boggling. Because if you consider 100 million people at a time operating across some of the AI platforms and requesting stuff and expecting instant responses, and those response times have been getting better. Anyone who's been using ChatGPT over the last couple of months, started about six, eight months ago, it was really slow in the beginning. You'd type in your query and you'd wait and it slowly typed out lines of text. Now it's getting really quick, sometimes instant, sometimes it's pre-typing. If you're in a browser, it's already coming up with information based on your search results. But again, people don't confuse AI or ChatGPT for search. It's not search. It's not a knowledge base. It's a word base, a base of very clever words which can sometimes say things that are completely untrue or wholly inaccurate, but they say it so beautifully that like a good newspaper, you tend to believe everything you read in print. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, back on topic. Here we go. The latest chip from NVIDIA is called the Grace Hopper, not a grasshopper, the Grace Hopper super chip. And essentially it works by making Masses amounts of information combining the, the uh, external and internal memory on a blazing fast chip. It can handle information up to five terabytes per second. Now it gets a super boring name. It's called the GH200 and it's going to go into production in a few, well, probably towards the middle of next year. But still, one of the promises they made is that a $100 million facility built with older equipment and older chip styles could be replaced with an $8 million investment in these new chips and new processors, and it would actually outperform the old $100 million. So a factor of almost of over 10, you can reduce the cost and increase the performance of your current data center. And that pretty much accounts for the type of performance that is being demanded by people because as more and more platforms, products, and companies use AI, both locally, in the cloud, on your handset, you name it, wherever you use these these technologies, 
the demand is going to exponentially outstrip the ability of the technologies to um, to process and manage and handle that quantity of data, that amount of stuff. And for a company that started off 30 years ago doing graphic chips, that did some really great. Everyone knew the NVIDIA graphic chips. In fact, their greatest uh, boom came when they started using those those processor chips in crypto mining because the platforms built on that the GPU was used to process data as long as, as well with the CPU. The GPU is the graphic part. The CPU is the computer part. They put the two together, and they came up with massively powerful computers to mine Bitcoin. And that evolved into they pretty much threw all their, their chips into a bucket and decided AI was the future. And it seems to be working out for them. The valuations screamed over $1 trillion, and they are making incredibly powerful, incredibly smart chips that NVIDIA, Intel, and the other boys are sometimes struggling to keep up with. So watch this space. You're going to hear more about uh, NVIDIA. You're going to hear more about what's going on in um, AI. And it all comes down to the power of the processors and the platforms that collect, manage, and transform that data into those smart bits of prose that you get out of ChatGPT. So watch this space. It's going to become even bigger, even faster, even better, and pretty much exponentially as we go forward. The other, sorry, the last little thing I want to comment on, the biggest problem with all these massive data centers is the amount of power they use. And this particular uh, chip, along with its power, can almost take the power consumption of these data centers down by 60 70% for, for more processing. So good news, hopefully that will help burn less fuel, keep us a little bit greener, because that seems to be the big trend. Now, moving on and still talking about ChatGPT, and in particular about Bing Chat. If you've been using the the, the Microsoft browser for whatever you want to do, you will have noticed that when you go to Bing, you find that chat is pretty much built in. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Bing Chat is based on ChatGPT. In fact, Microsoft is one of the greatest investors in um, ChatGPT and have been so for many, many years. So all of a sudden, OpenAI is partially funded, or yeah, mostly, and, and seriously funded by Microsoft. So they've got a little bit of a head start. But what they're going to do is they have announced that in the next couple of months, the latest, but starting pretty much now, they're going to roll out Bing Chat for Chrome and Safari browsers. So a lot of people just use the browser that comes with their Windows operating system. And I know a ton of people on Mac just use Chrome because it comes with the operating system and everything just works accordingly. But now you can actually add Bing Chat to those browsers, which is a great little add-on. And I must say that using Bing Chat gives you all the power of OpenAI, of ChatGPT, and it brings a lot of, of power and a lot of that uh, functionality. So I've tried it across the various browsers. I, well, I haven't tried this particular thing yet because it hasn't hit for the moment. But I've tried Bing Chat and compared to ChatGPT in, in Chrome and Bar, it works extremely well. So keep your eye on that. It's going to pop up and be, a, be able to be added to your Chrome and Safari browsers. And again, on the whole AI ChatGPT thing, I find that you you should be very cautious. You should use more than one. You should try something in BARD, see what it comes up with. 
try something in ChatGPT, see how it handles the same set of queries, and just get a sense of what makes the most sense in terms of what you're looking for, as long as you're not looking for information. So don't try to use ChatGPT, again, as a search engine. It's not a search engine. It may give you information that is not correct, and that's something to be really, really concerned about. And before we move to uh, Tech Talk Cafe, where I'm talking about two topics today, which should be really interesting. Fiber in the land, there's some big, crazy stuff going on in that space. And folding phones, are they the future? Something that a lot of people are talking about, because my gadget of the week is going to be the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 5 and the Z Fold 5, which was launched in South Africa, a couple, well, globally, a couple uh, 10 days, a week and a half ago, and um, available very shortly. So before we get there, one thing, if you believe your internet has been a bit slow of late, well, the honest truth is, it is a little slow of late. There's been some breaks in two undersea cable systems, both the WAX system, which is the West African cable system, and um, the SAT3, which was the original cable which has been upgraded uh, over the years. Both of them um, have somehow got broken by a, a rockfall or something in a trench near um, Cameroon up north. So it's going to take between three and six weeks to get there and fix it. All the, all the major network providers have said that they've rerouted. Luckily for South Africa, we've got a ton of other cables. So there's no, we've got the Equiano, Equiano cable, WAX is down, SAT3 is down, but there's also the ACE cable and a couple that's on the West Coast. On the East Coast, there are a couple of cables as well. There's the East Africa cable. So there's a ton. You've got CECOM going up the West Coast. So Internet is not ended, and for the most part, most people won't notice. Apparently, some gaming servers are struggling because they have dedicated capacity on some of these cables. So bear in mind, if you have a little bit of delay, a little bit of extended latency, so some voice programs may not work as promised, might have a little bit of a delay when you speak, just be aware that there is a break in the undersea cables, and it's a big one, so it's going to take a little bit of time, something between six and eight weeks to get there. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back with all the talk about fiber and phones straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And obviously, fiber is a huge thing. Most of us have sort of taken it for granted. If you live in a major city, fiber has quickly taken over in South Africa as the de facto standard for um, for connectivity. Mobile is a very close second, and in some areas, it's pretty much the only option you have. But mobile is a whole different story, whether it's 4G, 5G, fixed 4G, or fixed LTE makes no difference. The fact is that internet connectivity is just an absolute, absolute fundamental part of any modern economy and any, any country that wants to grow its economy and facilitate business and techno and, and all the technology driven uh, innovations that are happening globally. The world is connected. We're connected day by day. It's getting even more difficult to operate without some form of connection. A lot of people obviously are not using the mail. The only way you get your bills is through an electronic platform. And the only way you pay your bills is through an electronic platform. The days of posting a check, I mean, for those of you who remember it, a lot of, a lot of young people wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. But posting a check or your check is in the mail, 
apparently the biggest lie that ever happened to humanity. But still, technology is really, really, really important. And the backbone, the the embedded structures that create the possibility to be connected, in most cases, is now fiber. And fiber in the country has been growing pretty much exponentially over the last couple of years. And recently, well, for the last two years, there's been a lot of talk about a company called Massive. Now, for me, the name is a problem. Anything that's called Massive is uh, potentially um, going to be subject to its own hubris because Massive is quite an arrogant thing, and it does tend to speak to the fact that the whole Massive project, which has Vodacom at its heart, where they are going to combine their network along with uh, a couple of other networks in the in the market and come up with this massive, <laughs> sorry to use that word, but this massive combined network has now run foul of the Competition Commission. And the Com- Competition Commission has decided to block the acquisition of the fiber company Massive, which is a real problem. It's it's a bit of a surprise because apparently Vodacom they've launched they released a press release this week about it. Well, they heard about it this week and they have responded. And essentially, they've spent a lot of time trying to build a business case that clearly worked for everybody. And the fundamental problems that we have in South Africa is that times are tough. Business is tough. Uh, it's very hard to start a business in the telecommunications space because it's a scale business. The costs involved, laying down cables across a city, a suburb, or even a street costs from millions to billions of rands, all denominated in, in dollars. All this equipment is imported. I don't think there's any fiber manufacturer in the country. I don't believe there's any manufacturer of any of the equipments used in any, any single part of these networks other than maybe some concrete and some plastic and God knows what other little bits and pieces. But essentially, we're talking about a dollar-based platform that has, unfortunately, due to the fall of the RAM, almost doubled in the last couple of years in, in cost. So building out fiber networks across southern Africa and across the major cities is a massively large-scale operation, and it is incredibly incredibly expensive and complex to do it. So the largest shareholder of Massive was CRVH, um, along with Remgro and uh, Vodacom. They were trying to put this all together to create a lot of synergies within the space, cut costs, and just generally grow the, the market exceptionally. It would would have would have resulted in Theoretically, on the surface, a lot less competition. But again, unfortunately, competition is not always absolutely good. It makes no sense in certain utility markets to have competition. I mean, for example, in the in the electricity market, the government has fought competition like there's no tomorrow. They constantly block anybody who wants to self-provide. Only lately, as the crisis has deepened, have they opened up the taps to allow people to self-generate up to 100 gigawatts, and they keep increasing that limit because they literally have no choice. Companies need to survive. They need to self-provide. And unfortunately, the downside on that is that the the, the monopoly, ESCOM, lands up 
becoming less and less relevant as more and more companies and households sort of go off the grid, which is not a great thing. Fiber, unfortunately, is not quite that easy, or telecommunications is not that easy. You can't self-provide your own Internet. You need to connect. It's essentially the World Wide Web. It's a web of cables, connections, mobile, radio waves, you name it. And in that space, one or two top operators really do make a lot of sense. It is, in effect, a public utility. Now, the danger of putting all these products and everything into one company definitely has some downsides. It definitely does create a little bit of a challenge. But to simply stop a massive combined effort, I mean, Vodacom have essentially said they are going to be spending up to 30 billion rand on growth in that market over the next little while. They have made provision for a lot of um, competition within the space. It's an open access network based on very carefully monitored and managed costs. So anybody who wants to use the network can use the network. The costs are pretty uh, pretty simple. The costs are pretty well managed. ICASA and the government can certainly look at tariffs and ensure that things don't get out of hand. Again, it's a key sort of utility. So the whole problem here is that this is now going to delay the deal considerably. The investments that were going to be put into um, the market, so over 13 billion from Vodacom, just Vodacom alone, over the next couple of years will definitely um, not transpire. And, the, and in fact, I read that wrong. Now, according to the recent South African, you know, investment conference, which the government organised, Vodacom pledged to spend. 60 billion rand over five years, both on their mobile network and on other parts of their network, which would then include the massive fiber. So my feeling is that, one, they should change the name to something a little less provocative, which would make the competition commission not feel like they're the biggest boys in town. Clever use, but probably not the cleverest name. Two, I believe the government need to really wake up. It took 18 months for the Competition Commission to come up with this. By then, pretty much the due diligence was done. Everything was done. Everyone was waiting. The funding's in place. The structures are in place. Everything's ready to go. And boom, now it has to go back to the drawing board with tons more um, chat and whatnot going on to try to get through this whole thing. Vodacom say it's not the end. But in the end, business is business. And it's going to be really tough to to continue with this level of investment. Interest may move elsewhere. Remember, Vodacom is not owned by a South African company. It's owned by Vodafone. And there's a lot um, of demand for investment around the world. South Africa, as Vodacom pointed out, is a highly challenging market for capital investment. A lot of companies are not seeing the returns, again, because you invest a million rand today, and tomorrow it's worth 20% less dollars. So, Where's your return on investment? It's just negative in terms of hard currency, no matter which way you go. So watch the space. I think it's unfortunate and it's going to create a lot of trouble within the, the technology space. I think a lot of the investments in the fiber, the fiber networks and the data centers and everything else that sort of sits around and in these networks is going to struggle because as we, as we chatted about uh, what's going on with NVIDIA, Data is exponentially growing. Processing power is exponentially growing. The usage of video, voice, 
ChatGPT with video and voice is getting more and more um, commonplace. And in doing so, more and more data is moving at higher and higher speeds across networks that need to keep growing and developing. I mean, 10, 1 gigabyte was the sort of pinnacle of connectivity in the recent few years. But now many companies are moving to 10 gigabyte and beyond. You can buy in many countries around the world 10 gigabyte internet connections. I don't know who needs it right now, but it's available and it's possible. And it's possible broadly and commercially at costs that you and I in our home can afford. So you can imagine where this is going for big corporations and big companies that are using masses amounts of data and doing all sorts of smart stuff with that data over the, over the, over their various platforms. Again, you need networks. Even, and, and fiber is the backbone because even the mobile networks need fiber from tower to tower. The data does not travel magically back to the data center through the air. It does magically travel between your phone or your fixed LTE modem and a tower. But from that tower, it needs a really big, fast and ubiquitous fiber network to get the information back to the servers that run the whole platform. A lot of the mobile networks, especially in rural areas, use, you know, microwave or other methodologies of, of backhauling their signals. But unfortunately, there are limitations to radio signals that are far less with fiber signals. In fact, along with the growth of technology, the, the, the ability of fiber cables to transmit data is pretty much infinite because the light that they use to do so is pretty much infinite. It's only the connections on either side that turns it back into electricity that sometimes set up limitations. But on that note, um, I'm going to leave it there, but we'll watch this space. I think it's really, really important that somehow the government, Vodacom, and these other companies get their act together and understand that for the greater good, maybe one or two massive networks. Telcom's the other big network, fiber network player in the space. So there isn't, there is competition. And it doesn't mean that someone who's got a competitive advantage by owning all the networks is the one that's going to set the pricing. In this space, not the case. And let's hope they sort it out because you and I need access to the fastest, biggest, and best networks to do what we need to do going forward. Now, moving on to the other part of Tech Talk Cafe, um, I attended the launch of the Samsung Galaxy Fold phones, and it was really very, very interesting to, to just try to understand and see what is going on in that space. Now, Samsung have reached essentially dominance in the folding phone space, but at the highest end. However, folding phones and folding LED and OLED screens, well, LED doesn't fold too well, but OLED screens fold exceptionally well generally, um, or rollable screens or all sorts of sort of flexible screens are certainly something that OLEDs and plastic screens have been able to do. But on a phone, it's been, it's an incredibly rugged environment. And with Gen 5, I believe that Samsung have refined it to the point where durability, usability, and just general performance has reached a very, very mature place. And the market may or may not sort of blow up from this point and become really, really big. My sense is that in many ways, folding phones are significant for lots of reasons. One, the chocolate block slab phone has become somewhat boring. 
from one to the next, you can hardly tell the differences. So they're built with, with premium materials. They've got better cameras, faster processors, and brighter screens. But the form factor and the, the wow factor has gone. Pretty much a mid-range phone will do everything that a high-end phone will do. Maybe not as quickly, maybe not play games as fast, maybe not take such sharp pictures. And But the, the curve has slowed down enormously. Innovation seems to have halted to a large extent. And people are getting a little bored with the form factors. They're not upgrading as much. Even Apple have had sales of smartphones drop. Samsung definitely noticed that over the last year or so, especially in the high end. And there's also a massive move from the low end to make phones that are more sustainable. They don't want people throwing tons of phones into landfills. They want to make them upgradable for longer. They want to make them hardier and work longer. So there's a point in the market right now where absolutely foldable designs bring a, a little bit of innovation in the form factor. They certainly change the way that you and I interact with a phone. And the pros are very simple. There's lots of space efficiency. The new flip is really a great little device. It folds into a tiny little square that's easy on the bag or the pocket. And yet when you open it up, it's, it's nearly a six inch normal phone with a tiny little sort of hardly imperceptible, in my opinion, fold in the middle of the screen. And it operates exactly like any other big phone when you need it. And when it's closed, they've expanded the front. I'll talk about that later. Screen a lot and it's very usable as a phone. So clever very space efficient. The same can be said for the fold. Instead of carrying around a tablet and a phone, you can just take around the fold. You can do stuff on a tablet-sized seven-inch screen, which you couldn't do, or you couldn't do as efficiently on a normal normal phone. It certainly allows multitasking much more efficiently, as anyone who's bought themselves a 24-inch or 27-inch monitor for their desktop, it's certainly better than using a 13-inch Laptop screen, for example, if you've got a couple of windows open, you're working on a spreadsheet and, a, and, and your email in separate windows, it makes a huge difference. So, so definitely the productivity goes up. And the whole user interface becomes very, very different. What it also tends towards is some AR and VR capabilities that support, they are being supported by these larger screens and more immersive uh, experiences. And there's no question that this technology is going to evolve really quickly. And there are a couple of issues that a lot of people have asked about, and I get this question a lot from people I chat to, but how durable are they? So, for example, currently in the market, not in South Africa, but certainly elsewhere, Motorola brought out a very competitive phone to the Fold 5, and the um, not the Fold, the Flip 5, selling for around about $1,000 each, yet... <laughs> Samsung were quite clever. They set up a little thing where they were, where they, they challenged the Motorola to how many times they can open and close it before it lost integrity of the screen. And to cut a long story short, the Motorola phone failed at about 140,000 folds, opens and folds. And the Samsung went on to nearly 420,000 folds before, um, the test of putting some water and milk and other goo on the screen cause the screen to fail. So four times the um, durability. And that is pretty artificial because all these plastics, all these materials recover if you don't keep opening and closing them. So it's really tough when you sit quietly opening and closing a device 400,000 400, times. Chances of you ever doing that in the lifetime of a fold or a 
a flip is pretty much zero. So durability, I believe that certain manufacturers, such as, and I haven't played with many of the others, I've played with a few, but certainly it's not a big deal if you go for a market dealer like Samsung. And they've spent an enormous amount of time and effort on the hinges. The latest five has got some of the smartest, smoothest, cleanest feeling hinges. Again, something I'll talk about in a few minutes. So there is no question that folding phones, rolling phones, phones with large screens that are foldable um, definitely are going to be a significant part of what we do going forward. And I'm going to think you're going to see more and more of them. But right now, if you're looking for something like that and you've got the, the cash to, to cope with it, uh, again, we'll talk about it in my uh, gadget review. But Samsung seem to have been doing, seem to be the most mature and have come up with a product that's way past, past early adopter status and is now moving into mainstream in a way that could be pretty significant. Expect to see more and more people with folding phones in their pockets one way or the other. So on that note, we have to have a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be back with my gadget reviews straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now moving on to the launch of the new Galaxy Z Flip and the Galaxy Z Fold 5, the two hot new phones and strategically launched well before the big daddy. Well, Samsung is the big daddy. There are a couple of big daddies in this industry. Well, two, in fact, and that is Apple and Samsung and Samsung of the Android flagship holders, the Google are trying hard, but still not quite in that league, and Apple, who with their own operating system, iOS, and their own ecosystem built on iOS, um, certainly do control many markets around the world. But back to the Android and Samsung tweaked version of Android phones, the new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 5, too many words in, in the sentence there, uh, certainly has become probably for me, and I'll say it right up front, I spent some time playing with them at the launch. The launch was really cool as usual in Rosebank. But the Z Flip really caught my eye in terms of one, a couple of things. The first and most important thing, if you're looking to upgrade to a flip-type phone, this one is pretty much the pinnacle of flip phones currently. The front screen is really smart. They've added some tremendous usability. Sometimes the the running apps on the on the small uh, front screen, which is pretty much half the size of the inside's open flip screen, is a little dodgy. But generally, there's ton of information you don't need for the most part to open your phone to do your daily tasks: receiving texts, making phone calls, using WhatsApp, just doing checking the weather looking at the odd, just quick email that it flips past, and I use that word carefully, uh, it really works amazingly. But when you open the phone, it opens to a very normal format slab phone, still very thin, and the new hinge that they've designed is spectacular. It folds really flat. It allows the screen not to, not to break. In the diagram they showed you, it gets a lovely little bell inside, and the, the, the hinge closes around it, but when it's open or closed, there's no gap, none. It's beautiful, really, really amazing engineering, and it has exactly the right tension, both the flip and the fold. Initially feels a bit stiff, but as soon as you work it a few times, 
it smoothly opens, it holds in any position you want it to, and it just feels so absolutely premium. There's no question that these are, without doubt, the best-built uh, phones from Samsung yet. They feel good, they look good, and they just move and, and put together the balance, the weight, really outstanding. And all tiny differences from, we'll talk about the, the four generation right in a few minutes, but all small improvements, but they've added up to be a significant usability and feel and look improvement in general. What they've also done is they've used the same processor across all the phones, the new, the latest Snapdragon processor, which really makes these phones, same as the S23, super fast. I mean, there's no question on performance. Lots of memory. In fact, right now they're doing a, a promotion on double the memory. That's storage, not of processing memory. But the processing memory has gone up as well. And overall, from a performance point of view, these phones are exceptionally fast. The inside screen has improved. It's slightly brighter than the previous generation. Extremely responsive. It has some magic and apparently glass uh, surface coating, so it feels good, it works well. There are certainly on the, and we'll talk about the fold in a moment, there's a pen and a pen case which works extremely well, and a pen is quite useful on a big tablet type thing. But <clears throat> the widgets that run on the front screen of the Flip are certainly great. Internal, it feels very much like a standard Samsung phone. You've got all the space, you can watch YouTube videos, you can play games, you can do whatever you want. It's got all the various features that I'm not going to go through. But if you have a Flip 4, the upgrade is significant, but it's expensive. So I would personally say that Flip 4 to Flip 5 upgrades are not the answer. But if you are holding out from buying a Flip phone, between the new, the new quality of the cameras, which, again, based on the S23 designs, pretty much the same, and this is definitely the phone that will absolutely... Um, convince you that it is brilliant. The outside is a great screen, but the inside is spectacular. The battery life, I haven't, I obviously didn't spend enough time to understand that, but it has a fairly small battery in the space. So typically they say you should get a full day's use, but I would say that could be the only teeny downside with all these screens going, depending on how much you use the bright inside screen, you may run into power towards the end of the day. But the pluses are very simple. More memory, better quality screens, far superior hinges. The phone folds flat. There's no gap across it. It's slightly thinner than the 4 Series. It just feels superb in your hand. And the front screen is much, much, much more usable. So, Without question, the most mature, um, cleaned up, and best performing flip phone on the market by a long way. The pricing is not stupid. It's not cheap. Unfortunately, it's going to be still, you know, depending where you buy and what deal, and there's a lot of deals going on right now, it's still going to be expensive. But there are packages on the various networks that make it very, very attractive, depending on how and where you buy. Um, the fact that you can simply put it down and split the screen and have controls in the bottom part and pictures in the top part is very the, – the, the software has been upgraded to a point where it's pretty seamless and slick, and it takes real advantage of the, um, of the fold screen, of the folding screen. And moving on quickly, because I can see we're running out of time, unfortunately, but um, before we break for our next little 
uh, sponsors. I'll just talk a little bit about the fold. Same improvements across the fold. The fold has a, has absolutely the best hinge I've seen on a device like this. It folds flat and there's no gap. The previous gen had like a little V, which made it feel bulkier, it made it feel heavier. The new fold is thinner, it's lighter. The way they've sculpted the, the sides is not as round, it's flatter, it's easier to handle, it feels more balanced in your hand. It is, it's still a two-handed phone, but the front screen being a full it's also expanded. The front screen definitely has improved everything. From that point of view, you don't need to open it unless you need all the extra screens. And um, there's just no question that the Z Fold 5 is the most mature phone in this folding space. They've managed to minimize the apparency of the folding, the central crease considerably. The 4 is much better than the 3. The 5 is a lot better than the, the 4. With a black background, you can see it more. With anything lighter than that, even with a mid-gray, pretty much, if you look head-on, you cannot see the fold. So using it for browsing, using it for gaming, using it for productivity, multitasking, having two screens open, really does stop you reading books. It is just fantastic for that, I must admit. Again, the screen is brighter. The back, the performance is better. The cameras, from what I saw, are outstanding. I've read that they're not quite in the S23 league. So we are definitely, definitely uh, looking at a very, very mature phone here. It is stupidly expensive, I'm afraid. Um, and that's not a good thing. It's going to be 45,000 Rand. Um, and that is hectic. So, you know, only for the well-heeled. The packages on the various networks are pretty, um, pretty good. Some of them... You know, if you're spending already one and a half grand, two grand a month on your cell phone, you can get a Z Fold on a package. So it's definitely worth it. Would I personally buy one as my daily driver? Actually, I think finally, yes. I think it definitely is a phone with the processor speed, the camera quality, the space uh, a benefit. The only real cons are that it's IPX8 certified, so I wouldn't take it to the pool yet. It definitely... Um, will not be as waterproof as an S23 or an iPhone at the current moment. Battery life has not dramatically improved. It's still good, but uh, it's a big phone, big screen, batteries on both sides, but still um, a day and a bit and you're dead. It also charges relatively slowly compared to some of the new ones, which uh, surprised me. I thought they would do a little better, but still fast enough for most people. But the new hinge, the new quality there is spectacular and it's well worth well worth uh, looking. Anyway, we have to another quick break for our sponsors, and then I'll be back uh, straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And just as a wrap-up, because this part of the show always seems to approach so quickly, um, the new Samsung Galaxy Z Flip phones, along with the Galaxy S23, definitely are some of the best mobile devices on the planet currently. They are expensive, no question, but the quality, the build quality, the Samsung ecosystem, the apps, and everything to do with the polish that Samsung has brought to Android certainly makes it a no-brainer if you're looking for the latest and the best in the, in the Android ecosystem. The flip phones definitely bring a level of Uniqueness, I mean, everybody loves it when you open it up and start playing with it. As I said, the Fold 5 
comes with a very slim case with a couple of really useful um, storage places for your S Pen. The S Pen that works on the Fold works extremely well. It feels like writing on paper. It's just if you're a, a pen person, if there's any artwork you want to do, you want to scribble some notes, You want to, if you're a note taker on an electronic device, here's one device you can pretty much leave the tablet at home. Seven inches is not huge. certainly doesn't be, beat a 10 or 12 or 13-inch tablet in terms of productivity gains. But for the most part, you can present directly off the phone. There's a full sort of OS desktop operating system built into the, um, the Samsungs today. So the entire ecosystem is mature, it's smooth, it's sophisticated, it's hugely capable. For the most part, the apps, whether it's an iOS or Android, operate almost exactly the same. Android is still noisier than iOS. iOS makes your life a little simpler, keeps things very consistent, and certainly takes a little bit of fuss out of your life. But if you like technology and you like fussing around and customizing and fiddling about and downloading a ton of like really crazy little apps that do weird things, then Android is a, is a great option. There's absolutely no downside. The quality of the cameras, the quality of the screens, the quality of the build, the overall performance is right up there with the best there is out there. And having a folding phone, one, if you want something more compact than a standard six-inch slab, then the flip does an incredible job. If you want something even bigger than that that gives you tablet-style performance for productivity gains with a great front screen that you can use like a normal phone with a new form factor that makes it lighter and easier to carry, uh, certainly the Fold 5 will tick all the right boxes. The prices are high. The technology is cutting edge. So you make the choices. You have a look. But generally, very, very impressed with the new Samsung Galaxy Z fold and flip offerings. There are a lot of specials on right now. I think they're pushing really hard. The market is tough. So if you're in the market, now's a good time to get out there and see what you can get. And um, you won't be sorry. I can assure you that these are tremendously good devices. If you're in the iPhone space, stay tuned. Less than a month now before the new iPhone 15 comes out. And uh, maybe that'll tick the boxes for you guys. But right now, unfortunately, upgrading is always a bit of a challenge year by year. They're expensive. The differences are not massive. So think carefully. But if you're new to the folding world, these things are absolutely spectacular and certainly bring a smile to your face no matter which way you go. And on that note, I've been told it's time to wrap up. We will be back with more gadgets, gizmos, and and, and news around what's the crazy stuff going on with fiber to the home and fiber to the business and you know you know what in the mobile space right here on High FM. Just tune in to Tech Talk every Thursday from 11 to 12, and we'll talk more tech as we go along. Till then, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.